Hey, Boss Squad. Uh, as you probably guessed from the title, we're not going to have a regular episode this week uh, because this past week has been a whole lot of fucking garbage. Uh, and that's including some technical problems with recording. Uh, so instead, uh, we're going to post the first episode of my other podcast, Thinking Too Hard About Anime. Um, it's kind of the bizarro world version of Kami House Party. Uh, a lot less goofs, more uh, analysis, still fun. Uh, and our first season, we're trying to cover every episode of Cowboy Bebop. As with this recording, we're about halfway through the entire series. So if you like what you hear, uh, you can find the rest of our episodes the same place you're listening to this. Also, if you're listening to this at the time of release, our weekly stream, uh, for so that's going to be September 3rd, uh, we're going to actually start a little bit later. We're going to start at 10 p.m. Eastern because we're staying up late for the release of Tony Hawk Pro Skater Remaster of 1 and 2 because we're both skater boys and we're very excited for that. So we hope you can join us if, if you miss hearing our voices this week. And again, sorry about this. Uh, thank you all for your patience. Uh, we love all of y'all. Thank you for listening. Please stay safe out there. And as always, keep fighting. Welcome to Thinking Too Hard About Anime. This is a podcast where we have an episode-by-episode -episode discussion of a beloved animated series. It's a little bit of history, it's a little bit of analysis, and it's a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Aaron J. Shelton, and with me is Noah Carden. And for our first season, we're discussing the 1998 classic Cowboy Bebop, a show that's responsible for tens of thousands of anime fans. Our first episode will be an overview of the series as a whole, and then the rest of the season will cover each individual episode. Whether you're new to the series we're covering or a diehard fan, we hope our discussions will give you deeper appreciation for the shows we cover. And for those of you that are listening that are new to Cowboy Bebop, it is a sci-fi western noir that follows the adventures of a group of bounty hunters in the year 2071 as they travel across the solar system looking for their next big score. The crew consists of an ex-triad, Spike Spiegel, ex-space cop, Jet Black, a swimming-in-debt femme fatale, Faye Valentine, and kawaii kid hacker, Radical Edward. There's also a Welsh corgi named Ayn, who's a very good boy and a very smart boy. And if that sounds like a very basic plot, trust us, it's much more than that. How did you come to the series? How did you discover Cowboy Bebop? So... I probably like a lot of people. I discovered Cowboy Bebop through uh, the Cartoon Network's late night adult focused programming block known as Adult Swim. I actually remember watching like uh, the first night of Adult Swim and when when Cowboy Bebop came on, it was just so mind blowing compared to like everything else that had been on like during the day, like all the other stuff that I had been watching up to that point, like it was just so different from everything else that, that it immediately hooked me. Did you see a promo for it and you're like, oh, I have to watch this tonight? Or was it a complete surprise? I remember seeing just like a short sort of like promo for it. And then I was going to stay up and watch like this whole new thing, like no matter what. So and then when that came on, like it really just like, I didn't really know what to expect. I remember seeing like the little like short little ad and it was very moody. And then when the show actually started, it was like it's it 
it starts like with that big old bang, like you get the the little flashback in that first episode, and then the music that opening just kicks it <laughs> right into high gear. I actually never watched it on Adult Swim. <laughs> no, no. Um, although we watched Adult Swim a lot, my friend group specifically went to one person's house every Sunday mm-hmm. in the early early days, and it was just you know guys. Back in the day, Adult Swim was only on one night a week. And it wasn't just Family Guy. It, it, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very much not Family Guy. In that same friend group, uh, sort of my I had my anime guru, uh, one of my best friends from my late teens, early 20s, uh, we had heard about Cowboy Bebop, didn't really know what it was. Uh, he had just bought the DVD, which I believe that would have been 2000. We're like, okay, let's, you know what, let's just watch an episode and then we're just going to go to the mall and hang out. We watched the first episode of Cowboy Bebop. We looked at each other and we're like, well, we have to watch the whole DVD now, right? And like, yeah, we have to watch <laughs> all the, the other, I believe it was four episodes. But yeah, we just instantly, instantly fell in love. And, you know, the, the, the call of Auntie Anne's cannot take me away <laughs> uh, from watching the entirety of the show. Pretty. I, I hope it's pretty clear that for both of us, this is this is a seminal piece of media for us. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, I would honestly put Cowboy Bebop at the top of my list of like anime, or and probably towards the top of my list of like any sort of like show or movie that I've I've ever watched. Like, it's just there's just something about it that I hope we kind of. We, we can kind of like parse out as we get into the, the rest of the show that it just makes it so, so kind of unique and, and inspirational in a way. Yeah. So I've got some notes on the, the background of the show. Cowboy Bebop wasn't always called Cowboy Bebop, obviously. It, it was in the works in back as far as 1996. The initial title was actually Shooting Star Bebop. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> no. no, that was... That was the original title of the show. Uh, it went by Doobie Doo Bebop at one point. Um, it then went on to be Swing the Bebop. Uh, That's also before, bad. Yeah. Uh, before they finally landed on Cowboy Bebop. So it was originally pr- going to be produced by Bandai. The the, the overall company owns Sunrise Animation, uh, who are the actual animation house behind the show. They're actually known for like the entirety of like the Gundam franchise and a couple other things like Escaflone, um, the big O. Bandai was really just supposed to produce it, and they had only really given the uh, the mandate of it has to have spaceships in it so that we can sell toys. And then once they saw what they were making, they were like, "Nah, we're we're not going to produce this. None of them are teens. We don't <laughs> yeah. want this." Yeah, no. So Bandai Visual, which is a subdivision of Bandai, picked it up and and carried it through with the the production. Sunrise is also kind of weird in that they have, or I don't want to say weird, but they're notable in that they basically have like studios within the studio. They're like cells almost. Like Studio One is like the the main studio that's produced like all of like the core Gundam series for ever. Pretty much, um, Studio Two is the one uh, that would produce uh, Cowboy Bebop, um, and a lot of like the core members at the time of the production of Cowboy Bebop would go on to form the new animation studio Bones, 
Bones is notable because they also worked on the Cowboy Bebop movie in 2001. The, the show was in production from 96 until about like late 97, directed by Shinichiro Watanabe, who would also go on to direct things like Samurai Champloo, Space Dandy, uh, and Carol and Tuesday, um, which are all very, very good shows. The primary writer is uh, Keiko Nobumoto. Um, she would go on. She actually created Wolf's Reign. Um, mm. She would do the, the screenplay for Tokyo Godfathers. What? Um, yeah, she did the screenplay. She didn't do all of the writing. Um, she also worked on Shamrock Shampoo. Nobumoto is is very notable for being a longtime collaborator with uh, Watanabe. So uh, the music, most notably, is by Yoko Kano, who I think without the music, the show would be missing like half of its effectiveness almost. She is just so integral to the show and I think especially to like the the Western appeal of the show. She would also go on to do work and do the music for like shows like Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, Wolf Rain, and uh, Darker Than Black. And I think in the credits, uh, the opening theme, Tank, is credited to be the Seatbelts. That is, now that is her band that she had before, or is this a band that was formed specifically for the show? So my understanding is that uh, she kind of formed the band along when she was getting the job for the show, just because she wanted like, you know, a... Because the, the music is very jazzy and all that stuff, and that's kind of like, it's not, I won't say it's an unpopular kind of genre in Japan, but it's definitely not as big as some other genres. So it's something that she kind of made to to help with the show and has kind of gained its own kind of like separate popularity almost. Like she did the main productions and then the seatbelts would help, or seatbelts uh, actually be the ones doing the music. Sorry, sorry, a real a real Pixies the Pixies kind of thing. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. The character designer is uh, Toshihiro Kawamoto. Um, he is notable. Uh, he has a very distinct visual style for his his characters. Um, and you can see some of his other works and things like Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Stardust Memory, Wolf's Rain, and Golden Boy. The mechanical designer is Kimitoshi Yamane. He would do a lot of uh, the sort of like the mid-90s Gundam series like uh, MS uh, Gundam, uh, 08th MS Team, and Escalfone. So, yeah, so that's the, the kind of core cast. And the show premiered on TV Tokyo on April 3rd, 1998, where it only lasted until June 26th. Uh, just kind of due to like the the very mature nature of the show. It wasn't well received on like public broadcasting. So uh, they moved it to the satellite network uh, Wow Wow or <laughs> Wow Ow. It's W O W O W. Whoa 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 wow. So uh, they moved it uh, over to Wow Wow on October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety eight, where it ran until it ran its full length until April twenty fourth, nineteen ninety nine. Then we would see the the release over in the West. It was released by Bandai in March of two thousand on VHS as like a uh, a solid like box set before the DVD release would happen in April. Then, most notably, it would obviously hit uh, the Adult Swim block in 2001. Uh, Notably, on September 2nd, 2001, where just because of that date would cause some issues with the initial run of the show. Um, Most notably, the episode Cowboy Funk, which features uh, some buildings blowing up. So, yeah. Yeah, Uh, that's, you know, some poor timing. Uh, on on a you know 
an international scale at that point. So I don't, you know, make sense. Uh, it would gain like almost instant popularity at that time. Uh, the the show was just like so well received so immediately that it 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 actually stayed on Adult Swim almost every year up until like 2016. It would get a a, a run during their their animation block. I think 2016 and 2019 are the only years that it was did not show at least once during the wow. year. Wow. Yeah. Even up so pretty much up until now it's been yeah. on it's been on broadcast. Um they would it would only get like, you know, a limited time run during some of those years it wouldn't be like the near constant like repeats it would see during like its initial like set of broadcasts and stuff like that, but yes, it would been going long and strong on on uh, TV for for years. That's incredible for first of all something that's imported from another country that is only twenty six episodes long versus uh, American syndication, which requires a hundred plus episodes uh, for to have enough of a package that you can sell to other places. So within those contexts, that's definitely a testament to the power of the show. If a if you know traditional cable is saying, well, how do we get people to watch? I guess the show from twenty years ago. Oh yeah, like it's. I, I think definitely due to like how Adult Swim, like how they have their their content blocks and stuff like that, kind of figured out. It definitely allows for like that constant play. Like like you said, when Adult Swim first started, it was only Sunday nights, um, and then eventually it progressed into like just being the the late night programming for Cartoon Network across the board and just being able to have that show just like ready to go and play it, you know, every night or whatever. It, it, it really helped its longevity, I think, at least in the, the, the Western audience. Cause like you could turn it on anytime in the two thousands and, and watch some cowboy bebop and introduce it to, to people and stuff like that. And it would just kind of grow from there. That kind of uh, swings us into, you know, why, not just why is the show so good, but also why has it lasted so long? For me personally, like, it's just an incredible story and it's a, such a, a good cast of characters. And it's not something that, especially, you know, when I was growing up, like watching anime, I would have been like 13 at the time of like it first being broadcast and me first laying eyes on it, everything that I've been watching up to that point would have been like more in the sort of shonen camp of stuff. So like your Dragon Ball Z's, um, all the stuff that was coming on on like Toonami during the day just got so harshly contrasted against Cowboy Bebop at night. In preparing for this, <laughs> uh-huh. I kind of uh, there are two sort of main items in my grand unifying cowboy bebop theory okay uh and that sort of you sort of touched on one of them which is and this is this is a term that's been been thrown around in marketing too much in the past couple years but it's it's a show that is disruptive for Hmm. for the time and the place that it's in it is distinct from other anime that is being broadcast in the states at the time Character designs are not typical 
big eye anime. Mm-hmm. Um, color palettes are muted more than anything. It's a very that with with the pacing of it. It's a very adult show. I'm so, it's a very mature show, uh, and it tell and it sort of tells you that right out right out of the gate. Musically, it's it's not J pop for any of the music. <laughs> yeah, you know it, you have like. Hey kids, you remember jazz? No, well, of course you don't, but here it is, and you like it now. <laughs> and I don't, I can't speak to whether this is all by if they knew what they were doing or if there's like we like this stuff, let's put it in. But it seems almost intentional that we're trying to be different from anything else. Definitely, like Watanabe has said that he was very much influenced by not just like American cinema, but very like '70s American cinema. Uh, and you can definitely kind of see that in in the show. I mean, you can watch any of the episodes, and I mean, aside from the music, you can also just tell by the visual stylings. You can tell just by kind of like the content of the episode that this definitely has a very sort of like Western storytelling feel to it. Like the the first episode, like we'll, we'll get into it, but it's almost explicit take on Desperado, and just seeing that in a an anime. It was just so kind of like groundbreaking. It's the show that is in this very Western rapper. Mm-hmm. So there, there's this multinational appeal. Well, you know, there's there's a Western appeal to it. But inside, yeah. but once you peel it away inside, you still see that very, and I could be speaking out of my ass here, uh, this very Eastern Japanese sort of philosophy to things. Yeah. Like e- even in like, the episode where it's, well, here's Desperado and it's sort of a drug's gone bad. There's still a scene of Spike talking, you know, he consults uh, a mystic, for lack yeah. of a better word, you know, and they talk <laughs> yeah. about fate and they, but it, it it's this Trojan horse mm-hmm. of an anime. It's, it's like, um, Watanabe has said that, uh, especially when talking about like, the diversity of the cast of the the you know the on-screen characters like it's not just a bunch of like kind of generic white people or you know white presenting folks on screen like you get you know you get native american you get uh eastern asian you get middle eastern you get you know african characters all interacting with each other and like even the like the kind of the set design and everything you get mixes of like Chinese and English and Japanese all over the place. Um, and he, Watanabe has said that he wanted more of a multinational, but not necessarily not stateless kind of feel for the show. And that America was very much sort of a, a cultural influence on it, but he didn't want to make America like the central culture in the show. So you get bits of like Hong Kong, America, Japan, all kind of blended into this big, amazing show. And they do it in this effortless way to where it's not center state. Like, I think there's going to be comparisons to Firefly, the the show in mm-hmm. Firefly. I think Whedon said he wasn't inspired by Cowboy Bebop, but come, come on. Yeah. But like, I think he tried in Firefly in a way that Either wasn't enough thought was put into it, and, and it kind of fell flat, like people saying random Chinese swears, yeah. <laughs> even though there's no Chinese people anywhere. 
Yeah. And, and but they do that, but like in Cowboy Bebop, it's very they put thought into it. And mm-hmm. so it's just you just live there. You ex it's not off-putting. It's not like, well, we're on Mars now. Mars is Hong Kong planet. Yeah. It's no everything is everything. And you don't question it because it feels right. Yeah, I totally feel like I could go into like almost any big city in the world, probably, and feel like I'll I'll see something that reminds me of Cowboy Bebop. I'll 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 I could easily like watch an episode and then go outside into like a place I'm visiting and very much feel a, a sort of similarity there. The show sort of presents itself as this beautiful example of, you know, everything being a remix and influences in influences coming in in a way that's hidden. But also if, you know, if you're in the know, you you get that mm-hmm. little endorphin hit of being <laughs> knowledgeable about something or knowing, yeah. knowing a little secret that maybe not everyone does. Yeah, totally. Like it's. Oh man, it's just such a good show. <laughs> and like, I never watched a Game of Thrones. If I, but I have to go through seven seasons. I have to mm-hmm. start at the very, very beginning. Where Cowboy Bebop, for the most part, put in any episode and you're good. Yeah. You know, it's it's episodic, but like in this way where I think so. Uh, I read this one article. I, I'm I'm sorry, I don't have the reference for it, but like, either the lead of programming at Adult Swim at the time, someone there compared it to the X-Files, where it's it's kind of a, it's a monster of the week show, but every once in a while we'll give you a little nugget of uh, the overall meta story of the meta plot yeah. that's going on. Yeah, that's, I, that's, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, totally. I think genre bash, genre blending, genre bashes are hard. <laughs> I don't have any bad examples on me on hand, but I think it's, but also name me one that's very successful besides Cowboy Bebop. But it's, and I think part of that is they sort of, there are episodes that like deal with where the plot's very sci-fi centric. The Space Gate one, I forget the name. There's like two, a few of them actually deal with the, uh, what is the it, gates. Jump Gates? I think they're just typically referred to as the gates, but yeah, they're the the faster than light hyperspace gates. Yeah, when we're first introduced to Ed, we're dealing with AIs and satellites. It's, yeah. Well, sometimes it's like, nope, someone's got to explore their backstory and deal with the past because we're in noir town. Because as designed in each episode, they could like hop from what genre they were hitting at the time. I think that's like the best way to handle a genre bash. Because you, you, you don't have to worry about anything before or after for the most part. You can focus on creating the single episode and putting all of like the love and care that it needs, all the, the, the work and attention that it needs to effectively make like a 20 to 30 to 30 minute like little movie. And then once it's done, you can set it down. You can put it in its place in like whatever sort of like show run that you want and you can just go. They tried a lot of things and they took a lot of risks that, again, I can see why Bandai got scared. Oh, yeah, for definitely. sure. Because they're the ones like, uh, okay, artists are doing art things. Well, we're scared now because money. Yeah, no, like, especially like Bandai, the company that, own, that effectively owns Gundam and 
all of the toys and models and all of that stuff that came out of it. Like if I can definitely see them, especially being like, Oh, we can't make a million models out of this. Like, no, we're not going to put money into it. I think you can see the Bandai still. Oh yeah, definitely. Like don't, don't get it twisted. (laughs) The, the space battles are still chef kiss. Yeah. You still have bullets coming out of ships at a curved angle in a dogfight, yeah. which is my which is my pornography. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I want to, as far as why good why the show is so good, is the 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 English dub of the anime is one of the best out there. Definitely from the localizing team, from all the actors involved. I mean, again, that's. One of the roadblocks, I think, for new anime fans is definitely subtitles. Mm-hmm. If you're not used to it, if you're you're new, that's you know that's de- that's a deterrent for a lot of people. And so, having a dub that didn't seem like people talking too fast, or that you lost some of the context of what was going on, because maybe the the, the localizing wasn't as strong. But this one, it just knocked it out of part. We talked about it. Neither of us has ever watched it sub uh, subtitled, correct? I, like, I've only seen bits and pieces subtitled. But yeah, I've never actually sat down and watched the whole thing through entirely in Japanese. I'm, I think just largely because I first saw it dubbed on, on Adult Swim that it's that's always been the de facto version in my mind. And I think I definitely lucked out that that dub is just so good that it's kind of the de facto version in a lot of people's minds. No one tried to come in and replace the dub a la certain giant robot show we know. Yeah. That came back last year. For the 20th anniversary, they re-released um, the movie in theaters. I was the, I went. <laughs> okay. Uh, they had the little kind of like pre-interview thing with like the cast and crew and like they were just, you know, you know, just talking all about how, like, you know, it's so crazy that, you know, it's lasted this long and that there it's it's really effectively built a lot of, like, their careers, especially in the dubbing. I know um, Steve Bloom, the guy who voiced uh, Spike Spiegel in the, the dub, like, it was probably his, like, first big breakout role within the, the, the dubbing community. And he's all over the place now. I, I can barely think of a show animated or or video game or anything like that that doesn't have at least steve bloom somewhere as like an additional voice the guy's voice stormtroopers in like rogue one and stuff now like he's all over the place he's on rap albums (laughs) yeah he's on rap albums (laughs) which the first time i saw that i was very confused (laughs) i was just i I was looking at an album cover i was like is that steve bloom (laughs) a genre blend hey we're gonna think too hard about any art i think it's important to have context part of why we have this primer episode but context Mm -hmm. for us i like to sort of look you know i'm trying to find patterns i'm looking at what also went down that year uh and if we look at cowboy bebop coming out in 1998 holy geez that is a banger of a year uh not only for like anime but just 
media in general. Yeah. Uh, so some things there I think there's some themes you can we can pull out of all this. Uh so I have I have a very long list of things. Uh so 1998 also important to note I think is that the 98 Winter Olympics were held in Nagano at the same time. That's right. Okay. And if you're familiar with the Olympics and how horrible they are to the economy of whatever host country they are in. <laughs> yeah. I am surprised any of this got made. <laughs> I am surprised there was money left over. So real quick, mm-hmm. before we jump into this, I do want to say that I did do, I also did a little bit of research. The 90s in Japan is what's known as the lost decade because it is when their economy just took a sudden sharp downturn after the 80s. So seeing all of this stuff happening and like the Olympics and all of that stuff and like this real big like economic upset is is really interesting. I am surprised I'm surprised that so much of this happened commercially. Yeah. I'm kind of now knowing that fact, I'm not surprised that artistically this is sort of what was coming out. Okay, yeah. Cuz there's definitely there's a and we kind of see it, although, I mean, in the United States, we were, you know, late 90s were great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm just surprised that, like, people took sort of chances on things like this. I'll just, I'll go down the list. So, <clears throat> in 98, here are the animes that premiered. Um, Outlaw Star, which I thought was, because of the way it was released to the States, I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of a derivative Cowboy Bebop, but it technically came out a season before. Hmm. But I mean, both Bandai, so I'm sure people are looking over desks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it, it's weird that a company's like, yes, two space shows, please, with a plucky crew. I feel like maybe Outlaw Star, like Bandai, was like, okay, this Cowboy Bebop show isn't working out. What's this Outlaw Star thing doing? And they kind of made that their. <laughs> Hey, we want to sell toys show, or at least they tried. Yeah, it's like fight for daddy's love. The daddy yeah. is Bandai. <laughs> oh, God. My, my, Bandai's money is an outlaw star. Oh, that, that's conjecture. I don't know for sure. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, another Western sci fi show, Trigun, came out that year. Yeah. Cardcaptor Sakura, uh, Initial D, the original run of Yu Gi Oh! that Toei did. Oh, uh, God. Before, I, I guess, <laughs> I also learned this doing this research before, because I guess they did a run when Yu-Gi-Oh! was about, yeah. like, a bunch of games, and then a later show came out, whereas Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters. Uh, let me just say, if you have never read the Yu-Gi-Oh! manga, especially, like, the first few volumes, you should do yourself a service and go read that, because it is some of the most buck-wild shit i have ever seen i know it's about murder sometimes is what like, i heard yugi straight up kills like a kid a chapter <laughs> it's it's crazy hot plate ice um air hockey with a vial of like nitroglycerin in it like it's bonkers oh it's it's manga saw is what you're telling me. yeah yeah kind it's, of yeah it's literally would you like to play a game yeah it is bananas like go go read that and like yeah that first season the i think they it's typically referred to as like season zero it it takes a lot of that stuff and and turns it into an anime 
I never thought I'd say maybe I should read some Yu-Gi-Oh. I want to say like the first 10 volumes or so are like all like different games before it starts getting into like the card games. I think there's a couple chapters where it's the card game and then they move away from it again and then eventually it becomes the whole thing later. All right. See our see our sister <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh podcast in 2022. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> Think you too hard about card games. <laughs> Two more just ones that affected me. Serial Experiments Lane came out this year, which I never finished, but was super into would again the time uh, uh this was at the time of you want to watch anime? Well that's 30 bucks, bud, for for a disc. So I did not finish, but enjoyed what I watched. And then Perfect Blue came out in ninety-eight as well. Oh, man. So you have, like, Watanabe, this is his first, you know, show as a direct, as a not directing with someone else, but directing on his own. And then mm-hmm. you have Satoshi Kon's first feature film. So it, it's crazy that two, I dare say, megastars within the industry yeah, are just swinging for the fences in the same year. Over in the West, uh, as far as movies, we have The Truman Show. Saving Private Ryan, Run Lola Run, uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, The Big Lebowski, Pleasantville, Out of Sight, Dark City, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Sliding Doors, Pi, uh, Rushmore, and also Ringu. I guess not here in the West, but uh, some of those might say like, why are you talking about Pleasantville? You know, as far as far as like movies that kind of lasted. But it's it's interesting that a lot of those movies deal with reality mm-hmm. and deal with sort of not dream logic, but it's, it's very there's a, there's themes of identity, there's themes of reality, which Cowboy Bebop it doesn't always hit hard on, but that's definitely an underlying idea that's in there. There's uh, in Cowboy Bebop, there's definitely a lot of sort of like there's some existential ennui and a lot of stuff there's um a lot of having to deal with a past that you ran away from that kind of thing so kind of fessing up to reality is kind of a, an overarching theme i think i think the movie probably hit that idea Definitely. more than anything else like over the head with a clown hammer sort of yeah going hard thematically but yeah so i so it's interesting that that happened also <laughs> Breakout stars of 98, uh, you have Guy Ritchie with his first movie. You have Darren Aronofsky with his first movie. You have Wes Anderson with his second movie, but definitely the one that made him a name with Rushmore. And mm-hmm. you have the return of Steven Soderbergh. Because before Out of Sight, he just had Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. And then he kind of, he did a few things, but nothing hit for him until Out of Sight. It's interesting that we have this year that this weird graduating class yeah, of these people who are revere, you know, maybe not Guy Ritchie so much anymore, but like, no, yeah, he, he lost for, for a while there. Yeah. You, it's interesting that this year was the year that these people started and came to the public forefront. Now, video game, you, you might have more of a. <laughs> Handle on this one. But <laughs> video games were also... Video games, like, 1998 was a massive year for video games, especially, like, critically acclaimed stuff. So I've got a, a nice list here as well. And probably the first and foremost 
is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time came out in November of 1998. Tekken 3, Half-Life, Metal Gear Solid, Resident Evil 2, Grim Fandango, StarCraft. Just like there's a lot of really, really, really good video games that came out in 1998 that are all like beloved or like across the world. You have basically the world's introduction to Kojima. Yeah. Being able to be Kojima as well. A weird, a very interesting class of 98 here. Aside from the PC, we're we're in the middle of a generation, which is usually the the prime time for game development. People are used to the systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're getting used to how the hardware works. Again, I could be talking out of my ass on this. Because uh, we don't, because uh, Dreamcast is until 2000, 2001? Uh, Dreamcast. It was like 9, Dreamcast, 9, oh. 2000? No, no, 9, 9, 99. That was Dreamcast. Oh, okay. That was the whole deal with the Dreamcast. And then uh, the PS2 was like late 2000, early 2001, I want to say. Okay. So we're like, we're at the, so we're at the middle tail end. Yeah. Of a, of a generation. So they're, they're definitely, they have a handle on things. It, um, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> as far as other correlations, nothing that I could see. It's just God bless '98. Is all I'll yeah, say. It's it was a a bonkers year for like, like like exactly like we said for for movies for video games for anime. It was just there was just something in the water that really gave us a lot of really, really lasting and important, you know, popular media. Cowboy Bebop is a gateway anime. A lot of people got into anime because of it, but there are still plenty of people who have not seen it, uh, who are not fans of anime that would probably enjoy it. So how, how would you go about approaching people? Uh, to to get them to watch this show. Uh, so in a segment that for now I'll call Pitching Anime, we've come up with some some things you can text, maybe you can say, some things you mm-hmm. can tell to say to other people to get them enticed into watching. Maybe they're not all serious, but... <laughs> yeah, you know. All right. Hey, do you want to watch the cartoon that Firefly is based off of? <laughs> so you, you hit on my first one, Firefly the anime, but better. <laughs> More episodes, same amount of movies. <laughs> hey, remember all the good movies from the 70s, but also film noir? What if it was an anime in space? Hey, you want to watch Millennials in space? <laughs> um, at least one. Yeah, fuck. It's the gig economy in space. No, yeah, that's exactly oh my, my thinking. God. It's the gig economy. I thought you were talking space. about debt, but like, no, it's both. Uh, both, yeah. I mean, look, the Bebop crew repeatedly has no money. So, uh. <laughs> so all you got to do is you got to send a gif of the Jerry Seinfeld bee saying, "Do you like jazz?" <laughs> and then send them the link to the show. <laughs> An episodic neo-noir western in space. It's a little mm. bit more serious one I got. Along those lines, a perfectly balanced genre bash with some of the most concise anthology storytelling since the original Twilight Zone. Ooh, that is really good. 
So, so here's one that it's true, but it's also probably going to hurt a little for you and me. <laughs> okay. A 90s retro future space western. Ooh. <laughs> because the 90s having a retro future kind of oh, stings. Yeah. We are three decades removed. I know yeah. not technically, Jesus, but psychically, we yes. are three decades removed from the 90s. Um, any of those will do. Yeah, just depends on who you're talking. Yeah, depending when you're talking about anime at a family gathering or at work <laughs> on, a, on a first, especially on a first date, definitely yeah. bring it up. It's a great idea. <laughs> Put that in the old Tinder bio. <laughs> Um, when this idea was first percolating, the first show I wanted to cover was Cowboy Bebop. And because mm -hmm. it, it had the advantage of being very good while mm -hmm. having a lot under the hood that we can analyze. And it's just, the more I think about it, the more, the more I realize how much the show has affected me. Uh, I've only cosplayed once in my life and it was mm -hmm. a Spike Spiegel in, yeah. in a homemade costume that my mom helped me with. It wasn't just some, I didn't get a suit. I did the strappies. It was, it was accurate. Nice. When I did smoke cigarettes, it was partly because Spike Spiegel smoked cigarettes. <laughs> that is the most shameful thing I'll probably say on the show, but who knows? Look out. Who knows? Maybe more. Who knows? But like, this show affected me and hit me at the right time. And I'm so excited to, talk about it with all of you when you first came to me with this idea i was like yes 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 i've been itching to talk about anime with like anybody and like the fact that you have come to me with it like just makes it that much better and i'm i'm like almost the exact same thing like the show has been so meaningful and such an important part of like my anime watching career air quotes like getting to actually finally like sit down and have like a really deep like analysis and conversation about the whole show is 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 something I've been looking forward to. Did you also start doing eye drugs <laughs> because of the show? <laughs> no, but I do have some green hair dye. <laughs> and if you've ever if you've ever seen me in person, I can get some very thick curly hair. So mm. We'll have a debate on what his hair color is later. <laughs> okay. As somebody who's colorblind, you might be correct. <laughs> I don't... Ugh, well, that, that's, that's for later. That's for later. Um, okay. We're a brand spanking new podcast. If you enjoyed the show uh, and you want to help out, the best thing you can do right now is to tell other people about it. H however you want to go about doing that, uh, a rating and review always helps on whatever platform you're listening to us. But yeah, spread the word, please. I'm on Twitter at Aaron J. Shelton. Uh, that's usually where I hang out online. I also have another podcast called Kame House Party, which is a comedic episode-by-episode -episode look at the entirety of Dragon Ball. Uh, so if that's your bag, definitely check that out. Noah? You can find me on Twitter also. Uh, I'm at Kamen Otaku. That's K-A-M-E-N-O-T-A-K-U. If you're listening to the show, you probably already know how to spell that. You could also check out one of my older podcasts if you like bad CW shows. 
Uh, me and my friend Kyle did uh, a review show for the first two seasons of Riverdale, which you can go and listen to. Um, otherwise, yeah, just find me on Twitter. Um, hit me up. Yeah, new episodes every other week. Uh, and come back and join us, and we'll start, and we'll get right into it. Episode one. I'm, I'm excited. I am excited as well. Uh, yeah, thank you again for listening. I'm Aaron. I'm Noah. And we've been thinking too hard. Thank you.